Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. You know, it's going on two years now of this virus. Anybody else tired of this virus? Oh my goodness. You know, there's a lot of different people that have fought this virus in different ways. And, um, and I'm not here to, to argue over what's best and everybody has their opinion, but one of them is the monoclonal antibodies and, um, and these infusions that people take and helps their body fight off the infection, strengthens their immune system and, and helps them with recovery. Well, that's what I pray is gonna happen over the next eight weeks. My prayer is that you will have a spiritual infusion of truth that is gonna help you fight this pandemic of pessimism that is all around us. This virus of discouragement and negativity and cynicism. It's, it's infecting everyone. It's infecting our friends, our loved ones, family members, neighbors, classmates, coworkers. And it's been infecting you and it's been infecting me as well. See, none of us is immune to this virus. And we've all come down with it to one extent or another, and some of us more severely. You know the signs of this pandemic that hacking cough of complaining, constantly complaining about everything, the heartache, your heart aches for all that is wrong in this world, the fatigue, just being so tired of it all, just tired of it, sick of it, and really that feeling of sickness and and people that are worried sick. And there's much that people today are worrying over. As a matter of fact, we've combined a, a different compilation of different, different surveys recently on what people's biggest worries are. Here are some of them. People are worried about their health and the health of their loved ones. They're worried about keeping a job, job security or finding a job. They're worried about paying the bills, day-to-day finances. Many are worried about never getting married. Some are worried about trying to save their marriage because it's broken or it's struggling. Some are worried about getting old, dying alone, political unrest, safety of their children and grandchildren. Many are worried about the past, the regrets they have, the shame, wishing they could have done things differently. And some are worried about the future, what's gonna happen. In other words, people worry about everything. And part of staying positive is learning how to overcome worry. And so I need a spiritual infusion when it comes to combating worry. And my guess is you do too. And we're gonna find that spiritual infusion in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. Go ahead and just, just turn there right now. Turn to the book of Philippians with me. And as you're turning there, I want you to understand something, that this is a church that is full of worry. Just like this church. Many of you are full of worry. And this was a church, Philippians, that is a worry-filled church. The same is true with us. And this letter, this epistle, is written to this church in a way that is very practical, in an understanding way. And that's my prayer for this message as well. So read along with me. You go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, head head right, and you'll find this little letter, this little epistle, and we're gonna start in verse four of chapter four. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four, and we'll go down to verse seven. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. 
the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you may be here today, online or in person, you think, that's, that's just too simplistic. It's really not realistic. Whoever wrote that doesn't understand what I'm facing, everything that I'm going through. They obviously don't get how bad that I have it. Well, this is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's sitting on a beach in the Mediterranean where he's tanning his body, and he's sipping a Corona, I mean a pineapple coconut smoothie. No, 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 no. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's been falsely accused of insurrection. He's been arrested. There's death threats against his life. He's appealed his case. He's been sent to Rome. He was shipwrecked on the way there. He's arrived in Rome, and he's in prison awaiting trial where he is eventually going to lose his life. And from prison, he writes this little book of joy to a church full of worrying people. What would the Philippians be worried about? Well, they're worried about persecution from outside the church. It is not easy to be a Christian in that day and age in the Roman Empire. They're worried about false teachers inside the church, these wolves in sheep's clothing that have come in and are teaching false doctrine and upsetting the faith of many people. They're worried about infighting and fighting among believers in the church. They're fighting with each other. They're worried for Paul, who's in prison, awaiting possible execution. They're worried for a friend called Epaphroditus. He's very ill, and they're not even sure that he's going to live. So there's all kinds of things to worry about in this life for them. And there are all kinds of things to worry about for you. And God doesn't want you worrying. He wants you to overcome your worrying. He, he wants you to understand that you can stay positive. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start this series on staying positive and ask God to teach us his holy word. And so this first infusion is how to overcome worry. And the first thing that we learn is this. Learn to rejoice constantly. And that's what he says in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. And this may be a stretch for some of us because joy honestly may be the last thing on your mind because someone has crushed you someone has stolen your joy, or something has happened in your life, kind of like hit a pothole of a problem and it's just deflated your joy. It is gone. It's flat or there's a slow leak and there's nothing you can do to pump it up. And and it seems like you can only travel so far, so to speak, in this life and you're just losing your ability to function, to cope, and you're overwhelmed. Well, I want you to understand, God wants you full of joy. He wants to patch that leak. And he wants you back on the road. And, and he stresses it. He repeats it just so that we get it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. So just in case you didn't hear me correctly, God says, and, and just in case you have trouble believing that I, this is what I mean, and you're facing this difficult person or this situation or this circumstance, I'm gonna say it twice so that you get this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. Because he knows joy is the answer for our worry. He knows joy brings us strength. The Israelites in Nehemiah's day had to learn that. They were told in Nehemiah 8.10, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy also brings healing. And there are many with heavy hearts. Proverbs 12.25, it's anxiety in a person's heart that weighs it down. And you may be here today, you're at home, you're here, and you're just weighed down 
you're weighed down with some worry, some concern, some weight, and it's hard. Proverbs 17, says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And so I need this infusion of joy. You need this infusion of joy. And you know what? You need a double dose. Rejoice, I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. Now, when he uses the word rejoice, please understand, this is not a shallow power of positive thinking, fake it till you make it, grin and bear it, happiness. It's not what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on what happens to you or doesn't happen to you. Joy is independent of what happens or doesn't happen. Joy is independent. It doesn't matter what happens. So no matter what you've run over on the road of this life or whatever has run you over on the road of this life, your joy can remain fully intact and fully inflated because it's different. It's a joy, he tells us, in the Lord. See, this is not a joy in money or having more money or a joy in being healthy. It's not a joy in a new relationship. This is not joy based in being able to move out of the state of Illinois. This is a joy that is not dependent on circumstances. What is it? Joy in the Lord is this. It's confidence in God's complete control. It's trust in God's daily provision. It's waiting on God's perfect will. It's an expectation. It's an excitement of watching how God is gonna take this mess or whatever problem I have and answer prayer and work it out for good because he's promised to do that. It's belief in God's never failing love. That's joy in the Lord. So the question is, do you have that kind of relationship in the Lord? The question is, are you in the Lord? See, Christian, you need to be walking in the Lord, meaning abiding in the Lord, trusting in him, obeying him, praying to him, waiting on him, believing in him. Are you in the Lord, Christian? And you who are non-Christians, you haven't placed your faith in the Lord yet. You need to come to that saving faith. You need to come to that place where you ask the Lord to be your savior and ask him to forgive you of your sins and enter into that relationship with him. He says, rejoice in the Lord, and then he says, always, and both the word rejoice and always are the same tense. Rejoice is present imperative, meaning continual, habitual, the practice of rejoicing. I want you always rejoicing. I don't want there to ever be a time in your life when you're not rejoicing in the Lord. And then he says always, meaning in spite of external circumstances, in spite of what happens, in spite of what doesn't happen, there is never a time for you as a believer in the Lord not to rejoice in the Lord. So that's the first step of overcoming our worry. You learn to rejoice constantly. Here's the second one. You focus on others graciously. Look at verse five. Let your graciousness, some translations are gentleness, be known to everyone. Now let's be honest right here. Worry does not lend itself to being gracious. When I am full of worry, I am typically not the most gracious person, and neither are you. See, worry-filled people are often upset, and they're uptight, and they're agitated, and they can become angry, and demanding, and sometimes hurtful, 
and harsh. That's what worry does to us. We don't think of other people. And that's one reason why worry is so ungracious, because it's self-focused. What am I going to do? How am I going to make it? What's going to happen to me? See, it's, it's all focused on, on us. When I worry, I'm typically not thinking of others. And so one aspect of overcoming worry is the ability to start thinking of other people and start caring for other people and start focusing on other people. See, joyful people aren't full of worry. Joyful people are full of grace. And gracious means kind and calm and humble and patient and gentle. See, a gracious, graciousness is the difference between a gentle summer breeze that blows and refreshes somebody or some gale force winter wind that just blows right through you and, and rips the car door basically off as you're trying to get in. So the question is for you and me, are we more like a gentle summer breeze, refreshing to people, calm, patient, encouraging, kind, are we more like a winter gale force wind? We walk into a room and we upset everybody and we upset everything and, and just blow right in and blow people over. So, which are you? And which am I? See, gracious people are people that are spirit-filled people. Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have a sweet lady in our church, an older woman by the name of Joyce Herr. She's been in our church a long time. Um, she led our widows group in our church for a long time. She recently wrote a book on facing cancer, Praising God in the Valley. It's about her journey with cancer. And um, she's home right now on hospice, waiting to go see the Lord. So Joyce, if you're if you're watching, we love you and we are praying for you and your family. We need more people like Joyce in this world. There's a joy in circumstances for her and a joy in the Lord and there's joy in her name as well. And my, my prayer is that you will be known as a gracious person. And it says here, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Do you see that word in verse five? Everyone. Not just people that you like not just people who are like you, gracious to those whose skin is a different color, gracious to those who may vote for a different political party, gracious to those who wear a mask or don't wear a mask, gracious to those who are vaccinated or are not vaccinated. He says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. So when you walk into a room, do people think and see you are gracious. Is that what stands out to them? I'll be honest, I don't think it is often of myself. And it's something I need to work on. And my guess is we all need to work on this to make sure that we are more gracious with people. So how do you overcome your worry? You learn to rejoice constantly. And you focus on others graciously. Third, you make God's presence a reality. Look at verse five again. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now talk about an incentive for being gracious. God is watching how I act. 
God is listening to what I say. God is listening to the tone in which I said it. God is near, God is present. And so it's a great incentive. Um, This came to mind this past Thursday. I was traveling with my wife uh, up from Georgia. We were down there for seven days watching the grandkids. And um, okay, and I was studying while I was down there, studying for this message, thinking about the presence of God and graciousness. And I was like, Lord, help me to do this. So I was just really focused on this at the airport, you know, letting people go in front of me and not rushing through security. And when they got my order wrong at the restaurant or, you know, at the fast food place, I didn't get upset. And I held the elevator for somebody and I thanked the man for cleaning the bathroom for a service. And I was just working on this being gracious. And then it hit me, I need to work on this in my driving. This is where I really need to work on. Oh, by the way, I, I gotta share this. I got a text this morning from somebody on their way to church. This is no joke. I got this text from somebody on their way to church this morning and this is what it said trying to get to church and just got pulled over hopefully I have the same luck as you Scott Um, she said speeding for Jesus Hmm. Um, she asked me what church and she said I just pulled over someone else that is on the way to harvest too (laughs) I'm working on being more gracious in my driving anybody else okay confession is good for the soul listen God's presence is a huge help in being gracious. God's presence is a huge help in not worrying, overcoming worry. My oldest daughter, Brenna, she's married now. Uh, She's the one with the grandkids. Well, when she was 15 months old, I was so excited. I was taking her to the ocean for the first time. I grew up, I'm a a beach bum, grew up in Ocean City, New Jersey. And I was taking my little 15-month-old daughter to the ocean for the first time. And I'm holding her and I'm bringing her down to put her, screaming, screaming, won't go near the water. I I got a picture of her right here. That's, That's what she looked like. I mean, just the sight of the waves, her daddy might as well have been invisible. She just didn't care. She didn't see me. And the sound of those crashing waves, it was like I was non-existent. It just drowned out my my voice of calm. I'm right there. I'm not going to let anything happen to her. I'm, I'm holding her, okay? Some of you need to understand God is right there. And all you do is hear the crashing of the waves in your life, one problem after another problem coming in and one worry after another worry. And and it's drowning out the voice of your heavenly father. He's, I'm right here. I'm not gonna let anything happen. And, And all you can see is problem after problem, wave of worry after wave of worry, and you're not seeing your father who loves you. You've gotta practice the presence of your God. Your Lord is near. He's not gonna abandon you. He has not left you. You're going to be okay. And there's many encouraging reminders in scripture that he is present among his people. And we need to read them and we need to study them and we need to memorize these verses and passages. And you need to put them on your bathroom mirror and you need to put them in your car and you need to put them on your refrigerator. And what I wanna do is I wanna give you a bunch of them. Just quickly go through these just to give that infusion of the nearness of your God and encouragement. Here's the first one, Psalm 16. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. Psalm 23. Even when I go through that darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, 
I fear no danger or evil. You are with me. Psalm 34, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 73, yet I am always with you. You hold my hand, my right hand. But as for me, the God's presence is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. Psalm 119, you are near, Lord. Psalm 145, the Lord is near all who call up to him. The words to Joshua in chapter one, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41, what a great passage. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you. Hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And then two more in Matthew. Matthew 18, 20, for two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there among them. In Matthew 28, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You get this. He's saying, you got the idea? I'm not gonna leave you. Don't worry about the crashing waves, the sound of them, the look of them. I'm with you. I'm with you no matter what. I'm holding you. I won't abandon you. Now, sometimes his nearness, though, is dependent on my humility. It's dependent on my repentance. It's dependent on my closeness to God. And so is yours. See, James 4 says this, but he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So am I humble or am I proud? Because that will determine whether I'm close to God or not. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And maybe this is where we need to start. Verse eight, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So maybe that means I need to cleanse my hands because I'm a sinner. Maybe it means I need to purify my heart and I need to stop being double-minded and be a man of faith. Maybe I need to be miserable and mourn and weep, repent of any sin in my life and let my laughter be turned to mourning and my joy to gloom and humble myself before the Lord and then he'll exalt me. So it may need to start with you or with me before the Lord. There may be some unconfessed sin in your life. And that's why you're not really close to God as you once were. And he's saying, if you just draw near to me, I'm gonna draw near to you. But you need to make some things right in your life. And some of you have some things in your life that are not right before God. And that's why you don't feel close to God. Because it's not him that moved, it was you. And so he says, it's time to draw near to me. So confess that sin. It's time to draw near to me, God says. And I will draw near to you. It's his promise. He loves you. So how do we overcome worry? Here's the next one. Stop it now. (laughs) Seriously. Would you just stop worrying? Look at verse verse, um, six. Don't worry about what? anything, okay? So turn to the person next to you and tell them that. Don't worry about anything. 
Don't worry about anything. Stop your worrying. Tell him you have nothing to worry about. See, do you understand what he's saying here? There is never a right time to worry, so says God. There is never a right thing to worry about, so says God. Worry about nothing, not anything. And by the way, nothing means nothing. But in the Greek, nothing means nothing. Do you understand that? Please get that. So remember that list that we looked at at the beginning, all the things that people worry about, their health, the health of a loved one, keeping their job, finding a job, paying their bills, getting married, saving their marriage, getting old, dying alone, the, the politics, the political unrest, safety of their kids, grandkids, the past, the future, nothing. Don't worry about anything. And that's what he means. Similar ideas in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is preaching the great sermon on the mount about true righteousness and what it is and what it is not. And he says in Matthew 6 over and over again, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry? And so don't worry and therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. He says, man, you got enough, you got enough issues today. Why are you worried about the issues about tomorrow? Don't worry about it. Some people ask, well, is worry a sin? Well, anytime God tells you not to do something and you do it, it's a sin. And so worry is a sin. When he says, I don't want you worrying about anything, and you and I continue to worry about it, we are sinning against this God who loves us and can take care of us and handle it. James 4, 17, so it is sin to know the good and yet do not do it. Why is it sin? Because worry is refusing to trust God. It's refusing to believe his promises. It's a form of idolatry. It's putting us front and center instead of our Lord. And worry is greatly increasing in this world and has greatly increased. One study, the Kaiser Family Foundation, looked at January 2019 and January 2021. This is what they found. In 2019, 10% of adults were dealing with symptoms of anxiety and in 2021, 42%, four times higher is how much it increased. Another study, Centers for Health Statistics, National Center for Health Statistics, compared pre-COVID 2017 to 18 to the spring of 2021. 2017 to 18, 8.5% of adults in the U.S. experienced symptoms of depression. It increased nearly 400%. 32% of adults U.S. experienced symptoms of depression. God makes it very clear. I don't want you worrying about anything. What does it mean? It means I don't want you troubled or uptight or bothered or fearful or restless or uneasy or fretful or overly concerned about anything or anyone. Stop your worrying. And the word worry literally means to pull apart. And that's what worry does. It pulls us in different directions and it rips us and tears us apart. It rips our heart apart. It rips our mind apart. That is what worry does. And I want you to get this. God doesn't want his precious child to be tormented with worry. He's tired of what worry is doing to you. And he's saying, will you just trust me? 
Will you just give it to me? And that's our, our fifth point. Give it to God totally. He wants it. Look at verse six. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Listen carefully. You and I will never overcome worry until we pray. And we will never overcome worry unless we pray. You're never going to be able to work through your worry until you truly understand what it is to pray and give it to God. And he says, I want you praying about everything. That's what he says, in everything. So there is nothing too small. There is nothing too insignificant. So whatever is bothering you, whatever is overwhelming you, whatever is causing you anxiety, whether it's big, whether it's small, God says, give it to me. I want everything that is causing you concern, everything that is making you uptight, everything that is making you restless, everything that is making you uneasy, everything that is causing any kind of fret or fear in your life. Give it to me. Corey Ten Boom, survivor of the Holocaust, put it this way. Any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Or to paraphrase, too small to pray about is too small to worry about. Give it to God. Give it to God. Pray and take it to God. And, and he says prayer. Prayer is the general word for making your requests known to God. Would you talk to God about it? Would you tell him what is bothering you? Would you have that conversation with your Lord? Whatever it is that's bothering you, take it to God. And notice here, he says pray. Not text a friend 1,500 messages about it. Not talk on the phone to them for three hours. And there's nothing wrong with talking to a friend, but God specifically says pray. He doesn't say, listen, mumble about this all day long, replaying it over in your mind, always thinking worst case scenarios because that's gonna really help you. That's not what he says. He says, pray about it. He, he doesn't say, raid the refrigerator and eat everything at once in sight. That's not what God says is gonna help you. He says, pray about it. He doesn't say, hey, binge watch an entire season of some show to get your mind off of it. That's not what he says. He says, pray about it. Get on your knees and pray. Can I, can I confess to you? I worry about my messages, every message I preach. Stop it. You're preaching my own sermon at me. <laughs> I even worry about the messages on worry because you people are mean. <laughs> so what do I need to do? I need to pray. Man, I ask people to pray for me. I get on my knees. There's a little room back there. I just get on my knees and I take it to God and I, I give it to him. You, you see me pray before the service. I have to give it to the Lord. I can't do it on my own. You know what? You have to give it to the Lord. You guys, you can't do it on your own. You have to give it to him. And so we pray, and then he says, petition God through prayer and petition. What is that? That means the re to request an answer from God to a specific need. It means be specific when you pray. Ask God specifically. And James 5, 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and effective. And then he goes on to talk about a, Elijah, who's a human just like us, and he prays earnestly. And so when you pray, you pray with passion and fervency and an earnestness. You mean it. Not some half-hearted, insincere prayer like you really don't believe God is there or that he's gonna answer. But pray with passion and fervency. And so he uses the word prayer and petition. And then look at verse six. He says, interestingly, 
with thanksgiving. Why? Because he wants us doing more than asking. He wants you and I asking with the right attitude and he wants us asking with an awareness of how good God has already been to us. So we pray with thanksgiving, remembering all that God has taken care of and how God has answered prayer in the past and how God has blessed us. Similar thought as Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, devote yourselves to it. With an, stay alert in it with, an added, with thanksgiving. Um, her name is Sarah Young and she combines gratitude and worry from God's perspective in a devotional called Jesus Always. Let me just read you a passage from that, a little bit of it. She says, from God's perspective, thankfulness keeps you linked to me and anchored in the present. Worry, on the other hand, pulls you into the future where you wander in barren places of uncertainty. However, you can always return to me by whispering, Lord, help me. To live consistently in the present, seek to become more grateful. Look around you searching for the many gifts I've showered upon you. As you thank me for these blessings, go into detail, express yourself enthusiastically. This will increase your gratitude and enhance your ability to grasp how blessed you really are. So when you and I pray, pray with an understanding of how blessed we really are. And recall how good God really has been and name some of those things and pray Thankfully, and with an attitude of gratitude to the Lord. And then he says this, and present your request to God. Look at verse six. Present your requests to God. What irony. God wants our worries. He asks for our worries and we hold on to them and we refuse to give them to God. If he wants your worry, please give him your worry. He's saying, just give me what is bothering you and stop being concerned about it. Tom Brady, arguably the greatest NFL player in history, just announced his retirement. 22 years in the league, seven Super Bowls, uh, five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time league MVP, 15 times named to the Pro Bowl, and the guy's an incredible quarterback. All-time passing completion leader, all-time. All-time passing touchdown leader, all-time. And by the way, this last season, he left, on, he left on top, 44 years old. And this past season, he had the most passing yards of any other quarterback, and he had the most touchdowns of any other quarterback. This guy knows how to throw a ball. He doesn't hold on to the ball when it's hiked to him. Listen, don't hold on to the problems, whatever is hiked to you. Learn to throw the problem to God. Listen, God is always open. God is always willing. God is always ready to catch whatever problem has been hiked your way. Stop holding on to your worries. Stop running around in the backfield. Stop getting sacked with all of your worries. Stop losing yardage in life. We, we read earlier in Matthew chapter six, can you add one moment to your life by worrying? Does worrying help you one second of your life? It does absolutely nothing for you. If anything, it gives us ulcers and takes away from our life. Stop chasing God down the field trying to get the worry back from him. You've thrown it to him. Let him have it. He can handle it and he never drops it. As a matter of fact, Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 5 casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. So if you have to be throwing stuff at God all day long, throw stuff at God all day long. 
He says, I'll catch everything that's bothering you. I'll catch everything that's worrying you. Just throw it to God. Just keep throwing it to God. He can handle everything. And he wants to handle everything. He wants our worries. So have a little talk with Jesus. Go pray with the Lord. That's what Cleveland Derrick suggested in the 1930s during the Great Depression. He was a black Baptist pastor and choir director of a church in Alabama. He would go on to write over 450 songs. One of them was on prayer. Just have a little talk with Jesus. This is what he wrote. I'm not going to sing it to you. I may have doubts and fears. My eyes be filled with tears. But Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. And when you feel a little prayer wheel turning, you will know a little fire is burning and you will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Some of you need to have a little talk with Jesus today. And it's gonna make it right. Just get alone with your Savior and give it to him. Or as David wrote in Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. So how do you overcome your worry? Well, you learn to rejoice constantly and you focus on others graciously. You make God's presence a reality and just stop it now. Seriously, stop worrying over nothing. He says, there's nothing to worry about. And you give it to God totally in prayer. And when we do those things, we experience, lastly, God's peace fully. And that's verse seven. Look at verse seven. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As someone has said, when we put our problems in God's hands, he puts his peace in our hearts what an exchange. I'll gladly have God's peace and he can have my problems. Anybody else? And that's what he wants. He says, if you give me your problems, the exchange is you'll be given my peace. So what are you waiting for? Give God your problems and he'll give you the peace. And he says it's a peace of God. What is that peace? That's that inner tranquility of the soul. That's that quiet confidence in spite of anything wrong that's happening. That's that complete trust in God's wisdom and his power and his love and his sovereignty. And by the way, it's a peace the world can't give you. It's a peace that only comes from Jesus. And he said that in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. So peace it's not found in this world. It's found in Jesus. It's this peace of God. And there's an old country song from the 80s. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, guess what? A lot of people are looking for peace in all the wrong places. And you need to find it. And you find it in the Lord and him alone. And it's an unexplainable peace in verse seven. It surpasses understanding. See, the, the world doesn't get it. How, how can you have a peace? They don't understand it. And by the way, the world doesn't have a peace. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 48, 22 says, there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. They live forever in this 
unsettled state without peace. What a horrible way to live. Christian, you are so blessed. Christian, you are so blessed that God says, you just give me your problems and I am gonna give you my peace. See, it's, it's a peace that my wife and I felt. It's unexplainable. When I graduated from seminary 27 years and I was a young man, didn't grow up in a Christian home, I had no experience in a church, never pastored a church. All I had was a diploma. And I didn't know where I was gonna pastor and my wife and I just had a peace, we'll trust the Lord. And so I sent resumes everywhere from Maine to Alaska and everywhere in between. And then I got a call from some dude called John Diggle in Oswego, Illinois. And he said, would you like to come and fill the pulpit and preach? I said, sure, peace of God. We've been here ever since. You know, it's the, it's the peace that God gave my wife and I when our young son, Dawson, we watched him wheel down the hallway at Lutheran General as he went in for brain surgery. That was a difficult time because we didn't know if he would live. We didn't know if he did live, if he would have his mental and physical abilities still. That was difficult. We had a total peace though. God, he's in your hands. You love him more than us. And God gave him back to us. It's, it's the peace that God gave my father-in-law who died about a year ago as he was in that hospice bed in his home, just waiting on God's timing to call him home. Peace that's beyond understanding. It's the peace that God gave our family even recently with our, our youngest grandson. Uh, 60 some days in the, in the NICU, still having some issues, we just don't know, but God knows. He's in God's hands. It's, it's the peace that we see in the life of Job. Job loses all 10 of his children and one day they all die. He loses all of his finances, wiped out his businesses. He'll eventually lose his health. He loses his friends. What's his response in Job chapter one? He stood up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshiped. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the peace of God. And it's a peace we're told that protects. Look what he says here. The peace of God, verse seven, surpasses understanding and it guards your hearts and your minds. See, it's like a guard. That's the peace. Peace of God constantly marches around the walls. It's stationed, protecting like soldiers on duty of a city. Protects your mind. That's God's peace. And, And it's there all day long and all night long so that you can sleep soundly. As a matter of fact, Psalm 4, 8 says, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Some of you need to claim that tonight. God is gonna stay up. You don't need to. God is gonna take care of it. You don't need to. You give it over to God. He says, I'll give you my peace. See, it's a peace that guards our heart. Our hearts, man, they are easily hurt and broken. They're easily scarred. They're easily scared. Our hearts are the emotional center of our life. And God's peace keeps us from emotionally short-circuiting. God's peace keeps us balanced and stable, our hearts. God's peace guards not only our hearts, he says it guards our minds. I don't know about your mind, but my mind can feel easily overwhelmed and confused and frustrated, and we can easily be tempted to just give up and give in and just call it quits. Our minds are the cognitive center of our lives, and so God's peace helps us stay focused and gives us clarity 
and spiritual stability. I love Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Keep depending on God, keep trusting in God, and you will have perfect peace in this life. Trust in the Lord forever, don't you stop. Because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. He is your rock. Peace is that that helmet of protection over our minds. Like a, like a football helmet and those players take blow after blow and bang and, and, the guard, and it guards and it protects them. That's what peace does. You know what peace does, the peace of God? It protects you against those sudden unexpected blows that are leveled against you, the impacts of this world. When you receive news of the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or an unexpected unwelcome health report or any unwelcome or unwanted news. Peace protects us is what it does, the peace of God. But I want you to notice the key are the last three words. In Christ Jesus. Not a peace of the world. Not a peace with more money. Not a peace in a new relationship or a new job. It's in Christ Jesus. Remember verse four? Rejoice in the Lord. And now verse 7, peace in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it in John 16:33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered, I have overcome the world. And so this peace is in Jesus and my prayer is that you believer continue to abide in him and experience his peace. And for you who do not know the Lord yet as your savior, that you will come to faith in him and know his peace. So how do we overcome worry? We learn to rejoice constantly. We focus on others graciously. We make God's presence a reality. Stop it now, seriously. Just stop worrying, nothing to worry about. Give it to God totally in prayer and experience God's peace fully. So let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You are, who are believers, you're at home, you're on a car, you're here in person. What has been worrying you? What are those waves of worry that have been crashing in your life? Would you give it to God right now? Would you toss them? Just name one worry after another worry after another worry. Give it to God, toss it to God, throw it to God, cast it to God, do that right now. God, I give you this. God, I give you this person. God, I give you this situation. God, I give you this circumstance. God, it is yours. I'm not gonna chase you down the field and try to take it back. God, would you take this? Name it specifically. For some of you here today, maybe you need to draw near to the Lord. There's unconfessed sin in your life. You need to make it right with God right now. Would you confess it? Would you ask for his forgiveness? He loves you. He's got grace and mercy that is unending. You'll never be able to use it up. Would you give him thanks right now? Give him thanks for all that he has provided and how good he has been. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be joining us at home, here again in person, and you've never come to faith in Jesus, honestly. You need to understand how much he loves you and that he will forgive you of any and all sin. 
And you may say, Scott, that's me. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart right now, would you call out to the Lord? Call out to him in prayer and sincerity in your heart. Use words like these, Lord, I need you. I'm tired of trying to do this life on my own. I'm failing miserably. Lord, I'm tired of my sin and the shame. Would you please forgive me of all of my sin? Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your sacrifice to take my sin. Lord, would you please save me? Would you please save me from my sin? I can't save myself. I place my faith in you. I place my faith in you alone. Only you can save me. Please forgive me, Lord. And thank you for your love. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.